Welcome to Computer Vision Decoded, where we discuss topics in the quickly evolving world of computer vision. In today's episode, we're going to dive into one of the hottest topics in computer vision. That's neural radiance fields, or as most people know it, NERFs. As always, I'm joined by our chief scientist of every point, Jared Heinle. And today I'm extremely excited to have our first guest on the show, Matt Tansik. Matthew is currently pursuing a PhD in the Computer Science and Electrical Engineering Department at UC Berkeley. Last but not least, he's building Nerf Studio, a collaboration-friendly studio for NERFs with a few other students at UC Berkeley. Thanks you two for joining. Uh, just start off, um, I just wanna get a little bit of a background, Matt. What, what set you on the journey of, of pursuing computer vision and um, you know, your whole background that led you up to all this, this Nerf research? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So um, I guess I first got a computer when I was in maybe middle school, an old hand-me-down laptop from my parents and wasn't allowed to play or download, it couldn't download games, right? But the one thing that it was able to run was Blender. So that was sort of like the first program I actually had access to and started playing around with. And I'd say that's kind of where it started. Um, first internship I got was using Blender full time. Lots of reconstructing scenes from point clouds captured from LiDAR. And yeah, and then going throughout undergrad, sort of switched to the more academic route, taking classes. Wasn't really sure what I'd do after that, but um, realized that you could actually contribute to these cool tools like Blender and build off of them. So that kind of got me interested in what you actually needed to do to contribute, which is learn how to program, learn these various 3D graphics methods, and ultimately uh, ended up here at Berkeley working on my PhD, where worked with a great group of folks on building out NERF and the various variants since. All right. I and mean, look at your background. You, pr prior to Berkeley, you were at uh, MIT. Was that correct? Yep. All right. That's a huge difference. Uh, East Coast cold versus, <laughs> you know, the, the warm weather in Berkeley. Um, I guess kind of warm, depending on what time of year. Um, all right. And it's, it sounds it's interesting. I don't come from uh, the computer science background that you two come from, but it sounds like, you know, <laughs> You have similar backgrounds, Jared. What can you can you talk about yours too? Because I think that's kind of interesting how people end up in this this really it's kind of a hot field right now. But you know, you don't just fall into computer vision as a research. Yeah, yeah, no, it's similar. Like with me, it was for me it was high school getting my first graphing calculator. You know, the TI eighty three or whatever. And so there, uh, I I did put games on it. You know, Tetris and you know Space Invaders or whatever it was. You know, and then very quickly was like, okay, how can I make games? And then trying to figure out programming. And oh, how can I make three D games? And then that led me on the path of, oh, I'll come do three D programming. And then I you know did my computer science degree, got interested in ray tracing research, just to you know render you know, really nice looking images. And then from there was like, okay, well, I can render images and how can you take images and turn that into computer vision? So that, that was a big game changer for me, realizing that there was a whole world of computer vision that uh, I just, I had never seen before. But yeah, I'm <laughs> lo loving the, the, you know, that, that graphics, that imaging, that blender uh, background. That's really cool. Yeah, there's a lot of different paths to, to, to get where you are. Yeah. Um, all right. So, Jerry, do you want to tee up tee up one of the first questions, or I can take it from here? I was gonna say. I mean, so for me, um, I guess you know. So my my background, I, I deal with three D reconstruction. You know, a lot of image based three um, D reconstruction, but nerfs. You know, that's not my. I haven't I haven't done research into nerfs. You know, like you have. And so, I guess just to start that off, can you explain to us at the highest level, you know, what is a nerf and how is it different? from something that I'm familiar with, more like a photogrammetry-based output, you know, whether that's a, a point cloud or a textured mesh. Um, yeah, what, what, what does a nerf, what does that even mean? Yeah, so I'm gonna start by explaining what a nerf isn't. Um, so what a nerf isn't is a mesh. Uh, for people who are not super familiar with graphics, it's basically the way that almost everything that you see in 3D is represented, so the world video games, TV shows, when they want to use uh, 3D rendering, they'll use a mesh, which is just a scene that is made up of a bunch of triangles where each triangle has a different color. And if you think about why we use meshes, it's because it's something that we can actually like easily or somewhat easily interact with. Uh, the world's quite complex, but we have to make some simplifications. So if I know that I have a flat wall, 
you could try to model it on like every single atom to describe the whole wall. That's obviously way too complex. So instead, I just create a big triangle, a bunch of big triangles, color it white in this case, and that's my wall. So this turns out to be a very easy thing for like humans to sort of work with. You just sort of move around the corners of these triangles. Uh, but for various reasons, it's actually kind of tricky for a computer to operate in that regime. Um, you because the way that we want to sort of create these computer algorithms to reconstruct scenes, they will sort of start with some mesh and try to deform it or modify it until it reaches some target shape. And that's you have to ask what question like the question of what do you start with? So you could start with like a sphere and then you sort of slowly deform it over time until you get, say, um, a water bottle that I'm interested in. Now, in this case, it's probably going to do a pretty good job, but you've got one problem here, which is like, there's this loop, right? Now, there's no way I can modify a sphere such that I still get that hole. So you run into these sort of edge cases and problems when you try to use meshes in the uh, sort of computer, like having the computers operate with them. So for that reason, we're going to approach the problem from a very different approach, one that's maybe harder for humans to interact with, but easier for our machines to interact with. And this is more of the approach of like, let's try to model every atom in the scene. Now, in practice, it's not every atom in the scene, but it's like bigger chunks of space in the scene. So I think the closest analog is something like uh, uh, Minecraft. So Minecraft, you model the world with cubes, right? And you mm -hmm. can draw them, you can kind of make whatever shape you want. People make rather crazy uh, objects but these are pretty big blocks. So let's just imagine Minecraft, but now we make the blocks smaller and smaller and we can represent most things in the world. So we call this a volumetric representation because we're modeling the volume every place in space. So NERF is a volumetric method that can represent the like realistic representations of scenes where some of the novelties of Nerf come, that come in that sort of differentiate it from something like Minecraft uh, is sort of along two dimensions. The first dimension is um, you want these really small cubes or you want to be able to represent small regions of space. Turns out if you try to do it with something explicit like a bunch of cubes, it just doesn't fit on the computer anymore. So you have to come up with a different way to describe the scene so that you can represent a very large scene. So I'm not going to go too much into the details, but a lot of the uh, like the original Nerf method will essentially use the same technology that machine learning uses, a neural network, to represent all these little essentially cubes in space. And then more recent methods kind of blend that with the Minecrafty approach of having actual cubes. And it turns out you can get some speed ups. And that's where you see a lot of these methods that can work really fast kind of blend these different methods together. So that's one difference. The other difference is you, like the real world, the color of a point in space isn't constant. If I move around, it'll change colors, right? If you look at this water bottle from one angle versus the other, you get reflections and what we call specularities uh, on these objects. So mm -hmm. we wanna make sure that as we represent all these little pieces in space, they have a way to change their color depending on the direction I'm looking at it. And that color that we're changing is one way to think about it is it's the reflectance or the radiance. Radiance is the color emitted from a particle in a certain direction and hence the name neural radiance field. So it's a field. So a field being a space full of particles that are represented by these particles with different radiance. And we're gonna use a neural network to actually store that information. So that's a neural radiance field. Okay. So that, that makes sense to me. How about you, Jared? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to me, that's so it sounds like it's a very, you know, fundamental difference in the representation. You know, like you said, like, so a triangle mesh, you know, you've got vertices, you've got triangles, you're representing sort of like these solid surfaces, you know, like, you know, there's empty space, there's a surface where that triangle is, and there's empty space behind it, you know, and you're linking these triangles together to represent that surface or the boundary 
of objects, you know, that being one representation. Another representation, you know, I work a lot with this point clouds. You know, there, there is no sort of representation of the surface. It's just a, a bunch of sort of independent samples of here's just a point in space. Um, and there, you know, it may not be on some sort of regular grid. It couldn't sort of be random or sparse or um, you know, there's going to be patterns to it, but that's, you know, there, there's no representation of the surface. Whereas, you know, saying here with this, you know, volumetric representation, this is sort of a third, you know, different representation that's, that's representing, um, you know, sort of, the, you know, the density or the, um, the radiance um, at this, at, you know, all of these points in space. But, um, yeah, that makes sense about having to, yeah, like a lot of the, you know, issues of it just, you know, trying to do a brute force and store all of that information at once, you know, is just, is, is way too much than having to deal with, you know, various ways of, of compressing or, or reducing that data um, to make it, make it practical. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You mentioned uh, point clouds. Like one way to think about this is this is just a really, really, really dense point cloud um, with the exception that it, the points can change color depending on the direction you look at it. Yeah. 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 I think that that view dependent, like the scene changing as you change the view of the camera is, is part of the magic. I, that, that has kind of caught the imagination of all the creatives and, just if I post something online, and you're seeing you're seeing shadows tracing through, you know, or reflections tracing through through water. I think I think that's what people are seeing there. This is you're changing the camera. Well, the, the appearance of that part of the scene has now changed, and and you just don't see you're not seeing that any other way except for a lot of manual work of people, you know, doing things for like games where they have to, you know, do a bunch of fancy tricks with 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 meshes and textures and you know post-production that you're not doing that i'm not doing any post-production on nerf i train the nerf i render a camera animation of the scene and it just it just happens it's worth noting that these like reflection properties are something that we like hope the model predicts the correct reflections but in many cases there are ways to cheat so using the same representation of space there are ways to make it so that it looks correct through this optimization procedure from the images that you give it as input. But in practice, the thing it reconstructs, like the underlying density and geometry is incorrect. And so this is one of the reasons why people do differentiate this versus uh, existing approaches that are more focused on the actual geometry, uh, because you can't really trust the geometry in nerves. And so one good example is something like a mirror. A mirror, you could represent the scene as having density at the surface, and then depending on the direction that I look at each of these points, it changes color. And that would be the correct way to represent it. There's another way that you could theoretically represent it, though, which is to represent it as a whole, that you look through the world and you see the reflected uh, world like at the same depth that it would be if I were like uh, looking behind me at that location in the mirror. And so the computer is kind of deciding during this optimization which one to choose. And there's ways that you can try to like force it to choose one versus the other uh, by like tweaking some parameters. But in practice, like either one satisfies the goal that you give that computer to begin with. Mm -hmm. So you do get these like weird artifacts often. Um, and on an artistic sense, it can be like quite compelling. I uh, think people may have seen there's some videos people have made where they've done nerfs of like mirrors and other reflective objects and you can like fly into like the mirror world. Um, but depending on your ultimate application, like that may not be desirable. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. Like your comment there about, you know, having it look good, even though the geometry is bad. I mean, I see it a lot of times with, with textured meshes, it's like, oh, you can have a really low, you know, low quality mesh, but then you texture it with some texture and all of a sudden it looks like it's amazingly detailed. Um, this sounds like it's like that problem, you know, just, you know, to the next degree of it's, uh, you can have this is, you know, dealing with reflections and yeah, that whole thing about, well, is it the, is the mirror actually that flat surface or is there a mirror world, you know, hidden behind that, that space? That's so cool. I mean, it's worth mentioning like a little bit of the history here. So things like photogrammetry are interested in reconstructing, uh, the correct geometry of the scene. Yep. And when we started the NERF project, we came at it from a completely different sphere. Our goal was, can we create good looking images? We didn't care about the underlying geometry at all, which is why we were like, let's just represent the world as this sort of like cloud. It's just a lot of little particles. 
there's nothing that forces it to be correct. We just care about pretty looking pictures in the end. And when we like, if you look at the original Nerf papers, that is sort of what we focus on. Like, oh, we can get these good looking images out of it. It was sort of by accident that you can actually get pretty good geometry in many cases um, and use it for other applications. Indeed. Okay, so going down that that line then of uh, now you've 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 built the first Nerf and you guys have iterated on it and improved it or maybe not improved, but have different versions of it now, and that some of the geometry is appearing to look better. Um, do you see a, a future where perhaps photogrammetry becomes this deprecated model or method to, to create uh, an accurate representation of the physical surfaces in the world, and, and we, we use NERFs instead? Or, or do you always find that this will be kind of a, never reach that, that same level of accuracy, um, that you would get, you know, are they, are they, is it kind of like a, we, that will supersede it or, or there'd just be different methods that have different pros and cons. Um, I mean, I think there'll always exist multiple methods, but one thing that kind of surprised us is we released the paper, we got good looking quality results, but a lot of people are interested in the, the actual geometry. And so what you end up seeing is a lot of the follow-up work, uh, particularly in the computer vision community, has focused on the geometry aspects. And that's why you do see that like there's methods coming out with much better geometry. And uh, one thing to note is a lot of these methods will actually take in the some of the ideas from photogrammetry, like things that we know work well in photogrammetry, import those ideas into NERF in order to improve the geometry. So it's not that like one will supersede the other, but it'll be sort of a combination of merging um, that makes sense because, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. No, I, I, I think that's valuable. I mean, just because that, that sharing of knowledge between between the different approaches. I mean, I've seen that from just like the photogrammetry side, like using pure just you know, heuristics and algorithms to like, oh, let's, let's, you know, triangulate points in space and then compare patches of pixels to see which one, you know, what is the depth of this point. And so there's a whole, you know, decades and decades worth of literature about, oh, here's the best methods to do that. You know, and now some of those are being superseded by, you know, learned, learned based approaches where you can say, well, no, a machine learning method, you know, a neural network can do a better job at figuring out, well, given these two, you know, images, you know, what is the depth of a particular pixel, you know, and so you start, you know, leveraging the best tool for the job in that, you know, goal of, you know, reconstructing or understanding the scene. I think one interesting data point, and this is by no means general, but one thing I've experienced uh, when I have a lot of images that are well captured of a scene and I have like good camera poses. Uh, if I also have additional depth information, say from a LIDAR scan, it's often beneficial not to take it into account because even though like LIDAR is very, very accurate, any sort of misalignment, which is almost uh, guaranteed given that like you've got rolling shutter artifact, various artifacts that happen that misalign the images from the LIDAR, uh, plus the surfaces of ob like the edges of objects with LIDAR can be sometimes kind of noisy, not taking into the LIDAR in account when you have lots of images, uh, you can actually produce better quality depths from images alone. So I think that's like a bit surprising. Uh, again, it's not general, but in, in some cases that does end up happening. And so I think it's worth like asking uh, when we think about how we do these like photogrammetry type setups where we do care about recovering geometry, like maybe there are other approaches that involve just like taking lots of photos and using nerve based approaches. Now, if you have something like a wall that is all the same color, Nerf and photogrammetry is gonna are gonna fail to produce like a, a good representation of that where LIDAR is going to do quite well. So I found LIDAR type depths are helpful when you have scenes like that, or if you have cases where you just don't have very many images. But if you've got a lot of images, uh, Nerf's gonna be kind of compelling. Mm -hmm. When I've, I've seen in my personal explorations of the hundreds of nerfs now I've, I've just kind of thrown all kinds of different scenes in. And as you said, like, it, it, it doesn't know where the sky is. So you end up when you, if you don't look at it from the right directions, you see perhaps what would be a cloud 
over a building and it's like the cloud is actually in front of the building if you were to look at it from the wrong direction because it just doesn't know how to represent that scene from that that angle at all um you know he just doesn't have that depth information it says oh there's something there i can't tell if it's i'm, I'm guessing it just doesn't know if it's really far away it's really close but i find that if then all of a sudden i get more more images like if i'm it's an unbounded scene i get that but if i manage to like walk around a building it starts to say oh well i saw it from the side profile now and no there is no cloud hanging out out in front of that building it's 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 a blank space it's a you know transparent there so it is kind of kind of cool to see how you can you can change your image set to get less of that um ambiguity of of the radiance field there yeah because i mean it produced the correct image for that viewpoint that is trained on right and mm -hmm. so the trick is like how do you also help make it produce good images from new viewpoints and it does pretty well when you're like in the regime, like the same areas that you've captured from. As you deviate from that, you're going to start seeing artifacts like that. And then in a case like that, this is where like you can step in and say, well, we know that the sky or things up high like are often very far away. So you can start programming in some uh, prior knowledge saying, OK, if I see something like that, put it as far back as possible. Uh, you have to be a little bit careful there because now let's say we have some fixed color that like the blue sky, it doesn't change depending on how I look at it. So I can put it infinitely far away. Uh, but if I look at the ground, maybe it's like a nice new concrete ground. It looks the exact same color. I could also put that infinitely far away. So it, it becomes like a game of which sort of prior knowledge do you want to incorporate? And any prior knowledge that you do incorporate, it could potentially like hurt other aspects. Yeah. So. Jared would know that there's a lot of balance and a lot of um, as I've dove into the world of computer vision, finding out how much you guys just spend experimenting with different variables and just seeing how, you know, run the data over and over with modifications to get that desirable effect for the hopefully known scene that you're going to be representing more than once and, you know, in the future and say, okay, well, we know if we're doing this sort of scene, we'll use these parameters. And a lot of that's just trial and error. See, see, see how it ends up. Yeah. 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 So much goes into just understand because it's, you can develop algorithms, you know, the ideal be to develop, develop an algorithm, you know, a method that can work anywhere under any environment, under any circumstances. But, you know, a lot of times having some knowledge about, oh, okay, I'm going to be reconstructing man-made objects. And so therefore we, there's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to be flat, you know, or, oh, I'm going to be in an outdoor environment where there's going to be no repetitive structure. You know, everything looks unique and random. And I can sort of, you know, use that as some sort of constraint or, you know, help influence the algorithms that be developed that are being, yeah, being developed. So, yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. All right. So well, I have some, uh, Jared, I have some questions around uh, block nerf, which would maybe one of the more novel, you know, or interesting ways uh, that nerfs have been used that I think, I think that one circulated the internet for a good while. Um, and, uh, I just I think it was interesting. Was was three was it three sixty images, three sixty camera images as input? Um, is that is that is that correct? Is that that how you uh, you see this technology for capturing large spaces to be more like a three sixty camera array, or um, was that you know was you guys just something something that was unique that Waymo had lots of just different cameras all over that um, you know their their cars that capture that data. So. I, you can kind of think of it as a 360 camera, but in reality, it wasn't. It was the car itself has, I forget exactly how many cameras, somewhere around eight or nine cameras that are placed looking in all directions. So in that sense, like you can fuse them all together to make a 360 uh, render. The slight modification there, and this is an important uh, aspect of Nerf, is you want to view the scene from as many locations as possible. A 360 camera, the camera sensor is at one location looking in all directions. So while you see everything, the, the source is the same location. Uh, the cars are a little bit different because the cameras are like spread across. Uh, I think like there may have been some on the like front bumper or some on the top, some on the back. So there's a little bit of spreading mm -hmm. as to where the camera sensors are. So it's a little bit better information than what you'd get with the 360 camera. That being said, if you just walk around with that 360 camera, you solve that issue. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's the same pro- same problem we have there in photogrammetry too. It's like yeah, if you only have observed the the scene from one position in space, yeah, you can't triangulate that depth. Which sounds like that's the same problem there with with nerfs. Yeah, yeah and exactly. I, I I kind of pulled up the vi- the Waymo video the video that uh, by the way I noticed that you you narrate a lot of these videos just to add a little humor here. Do you guys draw straws? Who who does that? <laughs> or is that just uh, who how, who decides who narrates these papers? That's just something I've always noticed. A variety of things. I mean, <laughs> a lot of these are like who's still awake at whatever time of night before it needs <laughs> to be uh, submitted to a conference. Um, yeah. But. Uh, all right. Just well, to, I mean, to take you, a, you do really well with that. I just, I just thought it was funny. It's like maybe they always make Matt go up because he's he's done a few of these now. <laughs> um, go ahead, Jerry. Oh, I was gonna say just to take a step back. I mean, so Jonathan's showing here these these amazing visuals as you know, just you know, urban uh, urban environments, downtown uh, San Francisco, or whatever being reconstructed. Can you just Matt? Can you just take a you know take a step back and just kind of explain at a high level? You know what what is what is block nerf or what was the goal of uh, block nerf? Yeah, so BlockNerf is a project that was done with Waymo, which is uh, Google's self-driving car effort. And their main goal is, uh, I mean, essentially to make like autonomous cars to drive across all these streets. They can obviously test the cars on the streets, but they can only go so far, right? So if you want to start simulating new scenarios or whatever it might be, it's useful to have a 3D representation of the world that you can like interact with. Uh, And so traditionally you would potentially hire someone to try to create 3D assets of all these uh, elements. Uh, But in this particular case, you've got these cars with all these cameras on them. Can you just automate the process? That that, that was the goal. And so you've got photogrammetry methods that could potentially work on it. Um, I had experience in NERF stuff, so it just seemed like a natural idea. Can we apply NERF to the data that the Waymo vehicles have already captured to just reconstruct them? Um, Mm -hmm. But this leads to a few challenges that we don't normally have, or at least the original Nerf papers didn't really uh, deal with, and it's really one of scale. So while there's a lot of data that is of different regions of space, uh, you have to take into account that they were taken at like different times um, and that different objects were around. So a lot of that paper was just a matter of like pulling it together or pulling together various other approaches that have been proposed in um, other papers that kind of account for these different aspects. So things like changes in weather, things like there's a vehicle driving by, how do you handle all that? Okay, yeah. that makes sense. That makes sense. And, I, and what you said earlier, you know, talking about how, you know, Nerf's motivations being around generating that, you know, nice looking image, that realistic looking image versus just you know, perhaps accuracy, you know, just raw brute force accuracy of the geometry. That makes sense if you're trying to, you know, simulate the world, you know, and simulate the world through visual means, having those really nice looking accurate images. Um, yeah, that seems like a great application of Nerf. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, these self-driving car companies, or most of them, like Waymo, they have LIDARs on them. So they have a, some estimate of the 3D geometry of space. And so simulating LIDAR, it's not easy, but it's a little bit more straightforward. Um, and that's something where you can actually use more crude 3D models that already exist that you can just like create a LiDAR sensor and just have it travel through that space. Visual is harder, right? <laughs> uh, what actually is fed into the camera, you want it to be something that looks photorealistic. Now, I think the video that you were just showing like is a step there. It's not photorealistic yet, right? There's issues. Uh, and a lot of those issues come down to the fact that this data was captured over long periods of time. And so you lose some of the constraints that you normally have or assumptions that you normally have that like the scene is static. So when the leaves on the trees change, we don't really have a great way to account for that. So as a result, it sort of blurs it all out and kind of predicts the average of all the different leaf positions. Um, Or when you look at this data over a long enough period of time, you actually see like the tree grows, right? So uh, Depending on what, what view what you're looking at, the tree is either short or tall or <laughs> no, no, like literally it grows over a, a month or two period of time, right? Oh, okay. So um or the leaves fall off the trees. Uh, that's it, cool. We we did have a past episode um about uh you know computer vision in the wild, I think was the title, and it was you know, those challenges. So Jared has a lot of experience as well with just crowdsourcing 
you know, hundreds of thousands of images. And it's just, no matter what, you're not going to get per perfection, but it's amazing what you can pull off to get a, a good understanding of a scene, even with all that, uh, you know, mismatch of information between images. Um, you know, we, we, I mean, Jared was even using a mix of cameras that we didn't even know what the camera, they were scraped from photo bucket, I think, or um, one of the, one of the big, you know, crowdsource image sets where you didn't know what the camera was, just had images. So um, it's, it's impressive what he pulled off, especially also that block nerf was, was done. That was, that wasn't done like last week. That was a while ago. So, you know, not that, that you can solve those problems necessarily today, but you know, I've already seen the quality of nerfs just improve as you, as this has evolved. And I think people forget, they say, oh, well, this is no, not as good as photogrammetry. Well, photogrammetry has been around since, you know, decades versus a couple of years. So there's a lot to figure out, a lot to optimize. Um, so I just thought it was a really good example of how he's kind of like you said, you pulled in a lot of ideas to pull off this large nerf. Uh, so one, 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 one thing I noticed that people kind of struggle with with nerfs is, is it takes an enormous amount of GPU power. Uh, you know, you can't just run it on a, you know, entry level laptop or desktop. You need that, that high end GPU. Um, can you can you talk about that? Like, a, do you see that 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 burden goes away in the future? Is that just the reality of the technology? And and if so, also how then how do you expect people to to be interacting with with nerves? So are we going to be doing it on cloud based environments where you don't have to? It's just you know close hosted out there in the the cloud. Uh, how do you see that 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 for that moving right they they are compute intensive and the maybe i'll briefly describe why they're compute intensive um mm -hmm. i described that you represent the world as sort of lots of little cubes or like little little chunks of space um but since it's all being represented uh at in sort of this representation that often is like a neural network you don't actually know where it is until you ask whether there's something in that location in space. So the way you actually render or predict the color of a single pixel is you sort of like shoot a camera ray out into space. And then along that ray, you take lots of little samples. And each of those samples, you ask, is there anything here? And if there is, what color is it? That asking process is actually feeding that sample through a neural network. And popping out an answer. And so if you're doing 500 samples on array, 500 queries of a neural network, and you're trying to render a one megapixel image, that's, you're rendering like, evaluating this neural network billions of times. So very quickly, it becomes quite expensive. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, the original NERF papers, they would take uh, almost a day to, or some in some cases, more than a day, just to reconstruct a single seek quite expensive. Uh, and for a while, that was like people were sort of fighting, getting it maybe like 20% faster or 30% faster. Uh, but over time, uh, people found more and more tricks in order to make it. So now you've got something like instant GP or these other fast methods that can train on the order of five minutes, right? So we've already gone mul like multiple orders of magnitude. Uh, there's different ways and different tricks that people use. But one of the biggest tricks is instead of doing 500 samples along the array, if you keep some information around saying that like, there's nothing here, don't sample this region, you can get rid of most of the, that computation. And so as we go forward, we're coming up with more and more tricks like that so that we don't have to do quite as much computation when we actually render the scene. So do I think it's gonna get faster? I, I think it will. I mean, it already has gotten significantly faster. That being said, it's still obviously uh, not, in the, not something you can run on your laptop. Uh, but I do think it'll go farther. I think the other thing that's worth mentioning is uh, computer graphics, 3D graphics, we kind of take for granted now, uh, but it took time for them to actually be feasible to run. And one of the main reasons they're feasible now is because we have something like a GPU, which is literally designed to render out a bunch of these mesh triangles as fast as possible. So we're sort of seeing people get more on board with these nerf based methods. Uh, I think it's totally feasible that these manufacturers will also start looking into like, how do you actually optimize on a hardware level, rendering these things out faster? 
So the that base approach, I think, will continue to get faster. It might be a little bit slower, especially if, given that like hardware modifications may be necessary. But there's another approach that you can kind of look at, which is, uh, can we convert these nerfs into something else? So if we forget about the actual creation of the nerf for a second, let's just say the creation of the nerf stays a bit expensive. And that's something that you run um, in the cloud or somewhere else. Once it's created, people are coming up with more and more methods to convert it into a representation that still maintains a lot of the visual quality, but is using the technologies that we've already optimized, essentially converting it to a mesh or something similar to a mesh that we can run on something like a phone uh, or normal devices without GPUs. And we already see that happening uh, both in research and also in industry. Uh, Luma, for example, is a company that will do some sort of conversion like that. Um, and which is why you can visualize it in your browser. Mm -hmm. That that makes sense. Yeah. I, I also saw mobile nerf, which turned into a triangle mesh as well. Yeah, it, running high FPS even on my, you know, my iPhone, um, in browser. So so I, just as like a interesting aside, is like mobile nerf. It converts it to a triangle mesh, but it's not a triangle mesh that you're used to. Uh, mm -hmm. What it is is it's tons and tons of triangles all overlapping each other. Like, uh, like we like to use the term triangle soup, where it's just sort of like you splatter triangles into the scene. And so it's not the way that people typically think of triangle meshes, where a lot of people care about it being watertight. So it's some mm -hmm. volume that doesn't have any holes. Uh, uh, it's like nice and perfect. That's not what these are. But they can leverage the advances in GPU technology to make it really, really fast while also producing great looking renders. Yeah, that's that's what I noticed. It, it, it looks great. Don't leave the scene. It's not ready for a game. Um, and also a lot of triangles, you know, it's not optimized to be the best looking with the least amount of triangles and meshes and data there. It's um, but but it works. That's, that's interesting for visualization. And, and I think a lot of people forget that nerfs uh, there's a lot of people say, well, what's useful with the nerf if I don't get a mesh? There's no use for this technology without meshes. And that that is a definitely, definitely a viewpoint from people who just need meshes. They work in game engines. They work in software that they're interacting with a mesh. And that's that's fine. But I, th I think that people just overlook a whole entire, like think of Waymo, they're doing self-driving cars, right? So they actually don't care about a geometry a lot of times in a scene. It's the cars learning what the scene looks like and how to interact with a scene based off appearance because using camera guidance, they're not, they're not uh, you know, and you can simulate LiDAR data for 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 some geometry, but I, I, I think that that is a application where we don't even have to worry about meshes and it could be expensive to render and expensive to train but we're using it for these machine learning models that in the end, it's worth all that investment, all that time, all the energy, all the GPU cycles, because it's, it actually is faster than someone perhaps modeling these objects in 3D in, a, you know, in, in all these third-party softwares just to get one little scene for a car to learn how to drive around it. Um, so I, I, I just think, like to throw that out there. Yeah, I think I would also have sort of like two other responses to someone who says they just want meshes because they want geometry. Um, I think that's totally valid because that's what mm -hmm. our tooling is built to use right now. Uh, but people, well, so the first thing is uh, people are creating methods to convert nerfs to meshes. So it's not like using a nerf means that you don't get something like a mesh as, as an output, right? Mm -hmm. Not quite as good, uh, but we're getting better and there's a lot of research in that space. So I wouldn't be surprised if you can get pretty good meshes out of a nerf-based model uh, soon. Um, and the the second thing is people want meshes because that's what their tools currently use right if you got the unity game engine or whatever game engine you import a mesh i don't think that's always going to be the case you've already seen people hack together ways to import uh nerf style models into these existing game engines and i think it's only a matter of time before these game engines implement it at more of a core level so once that is the case then do you actually need the mesh or you just need the mesh because that's what your current tooling uses yeah i agree there it's a it's a necessity right now but is it a mandatory requirement maybe not and uh just i you know I, i've been spending a lot of time interacting with nvidia who obviously are spending a lot of 
time and energy and you know research cycles on this technology and they, they haven't said anything publicly but you can tell that, that that they're working on something with the omniverse off of what they've said and i can only imagine that they're going to have some sort of you know server-based rendering of nerfs and not convert it to a mesh necessarily because they, you know that the whole omniverse they have a lot of synthetic data uh, rendering and things like that they use for machine learning and i could see how this just easily integrates in that whole ecosystem where you don't need the mesh um, in that tool set. But like you said, some other tool sets, it's, it's the reality of today. I, I think there's also like a just general trend of a lot of tool sets migrating to the cloud. And once you migrate to the cloud, then they can do whatever they want in the backend, right? Like they can use all the compute they want. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so. All right. Well, I just want to pivot. I want to make sure we have enough time here because uh, we're coming to the end of our of, of our time with you. But I want to make sure we talk about um, a, a project you're currently involved in um, called Nerf Studio. And I'm going to just if people are on the YouTube version of this, I will, again, have some visuals of just outputs from Nerf Studio. Uh, but uh, can you just give us a quick overview of what Nerf Studio is to, to start out with? Well, I, I show some cool, interesting results. Yeah, so it's an open source project um, that essentially tries to bring together a bunch of different Nerf methods. So Nerf came out a little over two years ago now, and since then there's been a lot of follow-ups. Uh, the most notable ones are the ones that make it like real-time and fast, but there's also been a lot of things to improve the quality um, in a variety of different scenarios. Um, and the challenge is if you go out there and look and you just want to use Nerf, uh, say you're a researcher or a programmer, it's not entirely clear where you start. Uh, you could grab, like the, the thing that I would recommend, number one, is don't grab the original Nerf code base. There's like zero reason you should use that anymore. Uh, yet a lot of people still use it and we still get like GitHub issues and people trying to mess around with it, but it's out of date. Uh, these things have improved since then. And I've personally experienced this. Uh, we talked about BlockNerf earlier. BlockNerf, I just combined a bunch of different methods together, right? And there was a few methods that I hadn't had the chance to combine yet. And so when I went back to uh, Berkeley to work on my next project, um, I, I wanted to do essentially BlockNerf, but on a uh, academic uh, level compute rather than like Google level compute. And I think it's possible now that we have things like uh, Instant NGP, which allows things to be quite quick. And so I started hacking around. I wanted to reconstruct the campus here at Berkeley. And very quickly, I realized I was repeating all the same things I was doing, like uh, combining these different methods that I had to do when I was at Waymo. And it seemed kind of like a waste of time. And just thinking, there's got to be other people that are also trying to combine all these different methods together. Uh, what if we just do it the correct way or a, a more <laughs> uh, correct way so that when people want to use these methods in the future, they can just piece them together more like Lego blocks um, and get good results. At the same time, can we make the, the UI and usability easier so that folks that are maybe um, less into the research side of things can use this as a tool um, that combines the, the best of the best that we have in NERFs at the moment. And so uh, I, with a few other grad students, um, I'll highlight Ethan Weber and Yvonne, um, we, worked together to create this and we released it a few months ago and yeah it, it's been exciting to see other people use it um we released one model with it the nerfacto model and so this is just an example where we combined a few different methods so you asked uh, i don't know if you asked how it like compares to instant ngp but like if you compare it to something like instant ngp the new model is essentially instant NGP, but like with other things added on top of it. So it's not like it's uh, trying to compete with it. It's using those ideas and concepts and just bringing in other ideas and concepts that have happened in the space since. So for example, now there's like a method that lets you render stuff in the background a lot clearer. Mm -hmm. Why not include I, that with instant NGP, right? I, that, that was my first, the first comparison. I took the same image set I was like, I just want to see the difference between Nerfacto and Instant NGP. And it was just like, oh my goodness, it's like the background mountains just snapped into clarity. 
which which excited me because it always felt like the back you get suns get further and further away they almost look like they've been watercolored into the background as opposed to just even out of focus they just look smeared and that that's not the case yeah so. yeah so the goal going forward though is as new methods and new techniques come out and like people sort of agree that this is like a good direction to go we want to incorporate them um, and make an easy place for people to like contribute their own modules, uh, but also sort of leave like a, a history of what sort of uh, the different approaches one can take. Uh, and I think what's a little bit different than maybe treating this as like a traditional research project is that we're kind of doing this all in the open. Um, the goal isn't to write some paper, and I think there's great reasons to write papers about different methods in this area. Uh, but I think there's equally good reasons to try to do these things more publicly and uh, not just try to figure out ways to like differentiate yourself from others, because I think you got to accept that like there's a lot of good ideas in this area. If we combine them all, we can get something better. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so as a result, we've seen people uh, outside of our core team starting to contribute to the repo, which is the thing that we like. That was our ultimate goal, uh, because the hope is to make this something that's like sustainable, that people across industry and academia can help contribute to to improve it over time. All right. Yeah. That's so, that's so, such a valuable effort. I mean, like I know just in my in my work during my PhD, like, okay, every grad student, they've got their own project that they're working on and oh, I'm gonna go try to use someone else's code. Sure, I might find it somewhere and then I try to download it, compile it. Oh, it doesn't work, you know. And so just you know, that, that effort of just you know reproducing everyone else's work to try to, you know, build, you know, benefit your own. You know, that's, I really appreciate these problems. Like for me, in the photogrammetry space, you know, dealing with you know a call map or open MVG or visual SFM. So some of these projects where it's like, oh, I don't need to reinvent an entire photogrammetry pipeline. I can take one that's already out there and then build upon it and extend it, or just use it just to see, like, hey, what what sort of results do I get out of it? So this project like Nerf Studio, where you're saying you're able to take you know all these sort of state of the art methods, make it modular. So that you know, both researchers as well as engineers can you know give it a try, you know, extend it if they want. Um, that that's such a valuable valuable effort. Yeah, I, th I find this interesting because it's it's, it's a project that excites Jared. <laughs> you know, a, a, a an actual engineer, someone who can jump in the code base, and then someone like me who just checks on it every now and then, stays active in the Discord, and one day you're just saying, hey. Hit, you know, pip install or pip upgrade your code base, and all of a sudden I got these new features, these new methods I can play with, and I don't, I don't have to, I don't have to add to the, I don't have to be committing to the GitHub repo. I don't even have to build the source code from scratch necessarily, like I did with Instant NGP. You guys made it easy and and very very tangible, you know, way to use it. Um, so it's 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 kind of crosses the, I would say armchair you know, quarterback just want to go in there and play with it and see what it can do. And then, yeah, Jared, who's like, well, maybe we we'll want to take some serious looks at modifying this and adding to this, this, this stack of technology. So how would someone get find this? I mean, just, I, I have, I can bring it up on my screen, but, um, like, what is this, um, Yes, yeah, so, I this... mean, you should be able to just Google Nerf studio and hopefully uh, the SEO is yeah. really high enough. Uh, the, the website is Nerf dot studio um and easy I'll, I'll make sure i link it in all the show notes to, to all these uh, you know the podcast and youtube video but uh do you you suggest they go here uh which i have my screen if you're on the youtube you can see i kind of have the web page pulled up you start here and not not at the github level yeah i think starting well i mean i you can quickly get <laughs> to the github from here but yeah uh, hopefully you don't have to go to the GitHub if you don't want to. Like, like we want to be accessible for people who don't need to do anything coding related. On the left side, we've got something for uh, installation. If you walk through the steps, hopefully you could be up and running. Uh, uh, takes a little bit of time to install, but uh, once it's installed, not, not that long though. So I, you know, <laughs> I hope to make a guide on getting this installed for the people who've never even touched command line. Uh, you know, just take it down to the very simplest core there. But um, it's also anyways. worth noting that um, we do want to make this more accessible to people who like don't have GPUs. So in the top left, there's a button that says Colab. Uh, clicking that will actually launch a Google hosted uh, program that like gives you essentially free compute. Um, now it's not going to be like top tier compute, so it's a little bit slow going through it, uh, but it will allow you to like replicate these results without 
shelling uh, hundreds of dollars for your own fancy NVIDIA GPU. If you can even get a hold of one, that's, you know, <laughs> yeah, if you can even get there one. was a, at least on the 4090s, I think there's a thread of people just looking for when they get post, you know, get, get, go on sale. So, well, anyways, I, you know, that, that, I've taken enough of your time today. Um, just want to wrap this up. So again, it's Nerf Studio. Uh, I know that there's also a wonderful Discord channel where people are engaged and asking questions and answering them. And you, I mean, that's one way to get a hold of you, 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 Matt, you just, you're in there very actively, I notice, uh, responding to people, explaining things, and uh, we're all grateful for that. It's it's rare that there's a research or some sort of, you know, this level of, of novel technology that you can just go and ask questions on a, on a channel and get the actual researchers to respond. You know, if it's a big company, a big corporation, a lot of times you're not dealing with the people closest to the software. It's some sort of representative who's asking you a question, then going and trying to answer it. So that's that's quite exciting. Um, how else how else can we follow your work, Matt? Um, are you are you uh, are you active on social or we, your website? That's a better place to follow. Yeah, so I mean, my my personal website is just mylastname.com. Um, but for all the Nerf Studio stuff, we've got at Nerf Studio team on Twitter where we post updates and renders. Um, I think that's probably the best bet. Great. I'll make sure those are all linked in the show notes as well, so people can can find different places to to see what you're you're up to and um, follow this journey at Nerf Studio. And um, as always, again, just thank you, Matt. And uh, if you if you are listening or watching this before, uh, sorry, no November seventeenth, uh, Jared and I are actually going to host a live uh, computer of a computer vision decoded event in Durham, North Carolina, where Jared, his headquarters is, and um, we're actually going to show off just nerfs and talk about it a little bit. And uh, Matt, you don't know it, but we're going to we're going to use Nerf Studio because I, okay. I think it is it will be great for that community to say, hey, here's Nerfs. If you don't know about it or you're interested in it, go look at this. We're also going to use the Record 3D, you know, both workflow you have so we can just capture someone and within within a, you know, a few minutes, maybe the time it takes to transfer the data and initiate a line of code, we can have a Nerf training, which to me is really exciting too, because you know it's like one thing to say, okay, we took pictures, and in 30 minutes after we get all the pose estimations, we get to start training. Well, now we can skip that. So um, really excited. We'll make sure uh, we share, share how that goes as well with you, Matt. So um, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Jared, for being on this episode, and I look forward to uh, seeing you guys all in the next one. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you.